we've done really well, but being together, being together makes such a difference. Jesus came and dwelt among us, the incarnation. He took on flesh. And when we meet together, we usher in His presence. And, and as church, as we've gone through these restrictions, we, we know how hard it has been. But there will be a day when we meet Him face to face. We'll fall on our faces, actually, <laughs> in awe and wonder as to what He has done for us, and we will worship Him forever. And that is going to be such an awesome day. But in the meantime, we can bring heaven to earth. We can live here in a state of worship, no matter where we are, worshiping Him, giving Him all the glory, and we bring heaven to earth. And I think that, as Christians, is what we're called to do, to let other people know that there is more than this, and that God has such abundant riches for each one of them. That's got nothing to do with the, the, the sermon this morning. Uh, I just got a sense that God clearly is in this place, and as folks are watching at home, God is with you too. And yeah, just to, just to accept that free gift of grace and to walk in it, in holiness and obedience as He has walked through us. So there was a story of a guy who was moving his couch, and he'd got stuck in the passageway. I don't know if you've ever been in that place. We've, we've had to try and move some sofas over this lockdown time. And, and you know when you get stuck and you, you try and move it. And so he, he went out and he went around and he asked his neighbor to give him a hand. And he invited his neighbor to stand at one end and he at the other. And they pushed and they pulled and, and they just couldn't get it in. And eventually the chap, the owner of the sofa said, it's no use, we're never ever gonna get this couch into the house. And his neighbor shouted, into the house. <laughs> How many of us, and this, this has got to do with the sermon, how many of us, as we read the Bible, or don't read the Bible, or as we dip into the Bible, or we don't dip into the Bible, we, we kind of feel like we're pushing, and the Bible's kind of pulling, or I'm, I'm going the wrong way. You know, if we're pushing, then the, 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 somehow God's Word is, is, is just not sitting with us. Or that as we think about it, we, we have the bits that we like. We like certain books of the Bible, but we don't like that bit of the Bible. If you were to ask a man or woman in the street what they thought of God's Word, they may say things like this. Well, it's out of date. It's made up. It's for a fool of fairy tales. It's a waste of time. It's inaccurate. Difficult to understand. It's a self-help book. It's a real book. It's interesting. It's the Word of God. If you were to ask folk in the church, they might give you the same sort of replies. We live today in a world that bombards us with all sorts of information, explicitly, but also implicitly. 
it, it, it's, it's like there's information being seeping into our heads, our minds, our souls, through the news, social media, the, you know, the papers, the TV, all these, all these kind of things have a worldview that tells us subtly and sometimes not so subtly that God's written word is out of date, irrelevant, and a waste of time. And in the church, I think we have implicitly too often accepted this. That the, the idea that there's nothing in there that's relevant anymore, that, that science has somehow disproved the Bible, that we've moved on, that you have your truth and I have my truth. There's lots of voices and there's lots of confusion. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust God's Word? We ask these questions as, as believers in Jesus, as followers of Christ. Where does it come from? How was it put together? Who made that decision? Who decided what went in the Bible and what didn't go in the Bible? There's all these sort of questions. But what I'd love to do over the next few weeks is ask a few honest questions, ask a few things about our struggles with the Bible to find out actually how we can trust God's written word as it points to God's living word, Jesus Christ. So this book I have in front of me, it's not really a book, it's a library. It's got 66 books. Now, if you're in any quizzes, you might need to know this. 66 books written over 1,500 years by, we think, at least 40 different writers in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and a little bit Aramaic. There's different styles, there's different genres, and through it all, through all these different writings of history, of poetry, of wisdom, of law, of prophecy, they all, I believe, and I hope that you, if not just now, you will learn to believe that it all fits together and points to Jesus Christ. All these different writings reveal the same God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says these words, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how God's written word began. There was a woman who made her living selling, you know, the, you maybe not see them quite so much now, but artificial fruit, you know, fake fruit that, that, that folks would, would buy and put on the, the sideboard or whatever. And then one day a customer complained that the fruit she sold was not realistic enough. And he pointed to an apple saying it was too red, it was too round, it was too big to be a real apple. At which point the shopkeeper looked the bloke in the eye, picked the apple up, and took a bite out of it. You know, this library of books, this book, this written word of God is amazing. And sometimes it may look to us as though it's not real, that it's, it's, it's somehow out of date, that it's nothing to do with us as a modern society and what we have. 
and it's not what we need. But if we take a bite of it, if we feed on it, we will be fed. We will be fed with true life. This is a book that we can have 100% confidence in. It's not fake news to quote someone else. It is good news. And the good news is good news. It points us to how we can know and love and serve King Jesus in deeper ways than we ever thought possible. You know, because we can, we can take a dip in the pool, but when we're in the pool, we need to learn how to swim. And as we believe in Jesus, he invites us to swim with him. So our reading for today is taken from 2 Timothy. It is a letter that was written by St. Paul, who was in prison, awaiting his own death. He was soon to die for his faith. And he writes to his faithful apprentice, Timothy, who was pastoring a church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus at those times, it's in, in Turkey these days, but in those days, Asia Minor, it was full of all sorts of stuff. They were worshiping Diana. They had a big temple to Artemis. All this sort of stuff was going on there. There was lots of people spiritually seeking, and there were new Christians who were being confused with lots of different things. And Paul writes these words, reading from chapter 3 at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Can we all say wise for salvation? Wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's interesting, Sue was talking about the wind and the Spirit. Same word, ruach. God-breathed, the Spirit of God, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's Word that makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And all of the Bible is inspired by God. And it is useful. It's useful as it teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, it trains us in righteousness. That's what God's Word is for to point us to life, to faith, and righteousness. This is where you find it. Now, if you've been listening to me, you've got loads of questions. Folks at home, you've got questions. Folks here in the building, you've got questions. You've got questions. If you're going to trust in this, you need all the answers. I'm afraid I can't give you all the answers. But I can give you a quote from St. Augustine of Hippo, which I love. Understanding is the reward of faith. Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Sometimes you have to take that step of faith to understand fully. I guess the question I want to ask 
for you and for me in, in this next series is why does the Bible exist? If the Bible exists so that we might be wise for salvation through faith in Jesus, it is also there to make us useful to Jesus as we live our lives. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be equipped to serve Him in this world. We need to obey. We need to walk in His righteousness as He has lived His life for us. See, I, I, I firmly believe that all of this is God's Word. I believe the boring bits, the bits we struggle with, all the blood that you find in Leviticus, the joy and the heartache that you discover in the Gospels, all of this, all of this is God's Word. And the very first sentence of the very first book in this Bible points us to the main character, the hero and the author of the Bible. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created. Even in that first, first line, it gives us so much. It gives us so much that God was there at the beginning. And interestingly, science has shown that there was a beginning. All of this is not eternal. There was a beginning. There will be an end. That's what God's Word also says. But it also says that God created, that God created, that He's always there, that He created all of this, that He is the author and the ruler of everything. And as you read on in Genesis chapter 1, and I invite you to do that maybe when you get home or sometime during this week, ten times in the first chapter, it says these words, God said, God speaks, God is not silent. God desires to communicate with His creation. And to us, we are the pinnacle of His creation. It says in Ephesus that we are God's masterpiece. Turn to someone, just turn to someone you love next to you and say, you are God's masterpiece. You are God's handiwork. You're a beautiful creation. You believe it, believe it, believe it. That's what God's Word says. You are the pinnacle of creation. He had made it all, and eventually He put us onto the earth. This explains, I believe, why we have the Bible, that God loves us, and He wants us to be with Him in this world and in eternity. More of that later. I love watches. I, 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 I quite get excited when I get a new watch. I've, I've, I've actually slowed down, the watches haven't slowed down, but I've slowed down with my desire for watches in the last wee while. I've got one of these smart watches thingy-majiggies that keep me right and my heart rate down and all that sort of stuff, measure my walking and, and how much exercise I don't do. Um, but I, I love the, the, the intricacies of watches. I've had watches in the past that have got little dials and you see all the different dials going. And, and then, you know, if you take one of these watches in to maybe get a, a battery replaced or something's not right with the wind-up, you, you get to see inside it. And, and you get to look inside and you see the intricacies of everything that fits together and the, 
the kind of dials and the cogs and everything that works together. And it's amazing the skill and the handiwork that you discover in these amazing things. And, and I know that Richard Dawkins, one of the, the new atheists, as they were called a while ago, he says that, that actually this universe was created by a blind watchmaker, that it, it wasn't anyone, that, that it just happened by chance. But when I, look at, when I look at the design of a watch, and in my limited understanding, as I look up at the night sky when I'm walking the pooch late at night, and I see all of that, and we talk about gravity, <laughs> we are perfectly on the ground. I believe that He made it all. I believe that God, like the watchmaker, is not blind, but He is watching and He's seen, that He's all-powerful, intelligent, that He's wise and He's skillful, that there is such beauty and diversity in it all that it points me to Him as Creator and Him as Designer. Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. We see it all around us. We see God at work. But also we see it in each other. We see it in each other in our passions, in our intellect, in our morality, in our conscience, in our emotions, even the good and the bad, we see God's handiwork. We see the image of God. And I believe that the way He's created us demands of us a response, our allegiance, our commitment, our dedication to Him. And this is revealed to the whole world. Romans chapter 1, verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For those whose eyes see. Now, the theologians talk about general revelation, and that's kind of what I've been talking about just in this last couple of minutes. General revelation that through nature we can see His hand. But there's also something else that theologians talk about. They talk about lots of stuff, but they talk about special revelation. And that's what the Bible provides us. Not only God as Creator, but a revelation of His character, who He is and how He loves us, and how He sent His Son to save us from the dark that we too often find ourselves in. Psalm 119, verse 105, your Word is a lamp for our feet. The Bible exists. The Bible, this Bible, your Bible, the Bible that you've got on your phone, the Bible that you've got getting dusty on the shelf because you're not taking it down because it's too confusing and you're just not ready for it. You've just got too much going on that you can't bear looking inside it. The Bible exists because God is kind and compassionate. He's gracious and loving 
and He wants to help us out of the darkness that none should perish. The writer and preacher Kevin DeYoung says, God speaks not just to give us information. God speaks so that we can know the unknowable, so that we can fathom the unfathomable that is found in the cross. I hope you're still with me. I hope you're still with me at home. I hope you're, you're still with me where I'm going this morning, because I want you to know that the Bible exists to tell us the story of salvation, how God loves you, how God wants you, how He can lead us from the darkness, how we can be found and saved and redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. So, to go back to 2 Timothy, verses 16 and 7, these verses tell us that every word, every word from over 40 different authors is inspired, God-breathed by God, and it can be trusted and obeyed, even though there are so many difficult and challenging concepts. The core message is this, God is good, God is holy, and we've fallen short. We don't deserve Him, yet He loves us, and He sent His Son to die in our place. God speaks. God said. God continues to speak. Will we listen, and will we let others hear? Are we wise for salvation? Will we let others hear of that good news of salvation? Will you let God speak through you? Will you let Him, will you let Him work in you to point others to Him? So, in closing, where can He be found? He can be found in Jesus Christ. And the only true place we get to know Jesus Christ is here in this book. And growing in Jesus means that we need to sink into this book. We need to grow in our reading of this holy word and treat it as God's word, but also to not be scared by it. Growing in Jesus means that we want to know him better. And in this, in this we find Jesus' history, we find Jesus as he is, and the future that Jesus has for us. So if you need any tips, quick tips just right now, do it every day, get a quiet place, read even a little to begin with. If you struggle with reading, listen to it. There's so many apps and bits and bobs out there, podcasts, apps, downloads, whatever it may be, get God's Word into you. And you don't have to rush through it all. Take your time with it. You can just spend 20 minutes on two verses if you wish. Have a good, have a good book that you can write stuff down in. Get some good notes to help you. Listen to other trusted Bible teachers, but get into God's Word. We're going to hopefully get a wee picture up on the screen of some praying hands. Not that one, the next one. I don't know if you know, the, there, there's, a story, there's a story about these hands 
it, it may not be true. It, it, it's one of these things, if you Google it, you think, oh, there's a bit of controversy about it. But the story I heard about these hands is that Albrecht Dürer, who, who painted this picture, it's known as the praying hands. The story behind it is that Albrecht and his brother Albert, they had a passion for art, but the family was poor and they, they couldn't afford to send both to the, the, the university to study, to study art. And so the, the, they decided between them that one would go to the university and the other would stay, work in the mines, and then when one had finished their university, the other would then get to go because they'd raised enough money. So Albrecht got to go to the university. He studied, and, and after he completed his studies, he returned home, and there was a great family meal together. And across the, the dinner table, he called out to Albert, Albert, it's your turn now. I've done my stint. I've learned the trade. Please, now, you set off to go to university. And Albert reached his hands on the table and he said, brother, I can't go because the mines have taken the toll on my hands. My fingers have been crushed at least twice in each finger and arthritis is set But he gave it so his brother could go. And so the story is that Albrecht painted his brother's hands that spoke of, not only of prayer, but of the sacrifice his brother gave for him. And friends, as we think about that picture and about how a brother went so far to bring so much to his brother, we remember our true brother. We remember Jesus and how much he has given for us. He gave it all for us. He gave his life for you and for me. Are we willing to do the same for him? As he calls us out, as he sends us forth, will we give our lives for him? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your life, for your work, for your death and resurrection. We want to give our lives for you. Show us the way. Speak to us through your word, through your written word and through your spirit. May we receive all that you have for us. And may we change this world. May we make a difference. That's what you're calling us to do, Lord, to bring sweetness, to bring salt and light to this world. Use us, even us, for your glory and your praise.